Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by HipstersOfTheCoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at Patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy. Magic is power. of Leaving a Legacy. I'm your eternal host, Mr. Jerry Mee. Uh, unfortunately, no Pat this week. Uh, had something come up, so we will be missing him, but he'll be back next week. And in his place, I have an awesome, very experienced guest, uh, Mr. Brian Cole. How you doing? Pretty good, Jerry. I'm excited to be here. I was excited to uh, to do your cast. I've been listening to you for a while, but when I showed up just now and you told me that not only am I doing the cast, but I'm replacing Pat. Uh, <laughs> that was big news. Oh, big news! <laughs> yes, it's going to be a very uh, very intimate, and uh, you know, I hope you can fill the shoes. I'm sure you can. <laughs> I do a lot of talking on camera. <laughs> Yes. Excellent. Well, yeah, let's just segue right into it. Uh, You know, kind of tell our listeners who might not be as familiar with you kind of what your shtick is, what you do in the community and, you know, what you like. Uh, So I am a longtime legacy person Uh, since about 2008 is when I started playing legacy. Uh, I bought my first set of underground seas for one hundred and fifty dollars. For the, for all four for the set yeah uh, <laughs> nice that that Excellent. that's the time frame I got in um, sick brags <laughs> yeah yeah I'm just old and lucky <laughs> right um, since that time uh, I've won the Star City Invitational I won a Modern Grand Prix I won Vintage Champs I've top eight at Eternal Weekend four other times I've won two Star City Legacy Classics uh, I hopefully have a resume that people believe that I know how to play Magic. <laughs> uh, I've I've played on Those? the Pro Tour four times, and these days I'm mostly recording legacy content for YouTube. Yeah, so those are some impressive stats for sure. You're you're definitely one of uh you know the more accomplished Magic players uh in you know not just for legacy but just in general. Uh, and yeah, you just you really do a lot of awesome stuff. I asked you on the cast because uh, I watched uh, your most recent video you had with uh, Tom Hep and Jarvis Yu for uh, it's your Face Off series. It, or um, it's uh, it the series is called Deep Analysis. Uh, Deep Analysis, yeah. yes. I've done two episodes of that, and that came together totally by accident. Uh, I okay. I I participated in the Legacy Roundtable for Joe Dyer at the end of last year uh, for mm-hmm. for his article. And I said something about Veil of Summer and how it killed ad nauseum tendrils. And the Storm community was like, hey, you're wrong on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, I had a Alex McKinley of the EpicStorm.com telling me why I was wrong. And then Daniel D'Amato of ad nauseum tendrils fame telling me why I was wrong. And I was like, hey, why don't you guys just why don't we have this conversation on camera? Like, I don't mind being wrong. Just uh, this could be good content for someone else. So, yeah. So uh, it just sort of was. My goal was like a one-time thing, just have two Storm experts fill my brain with Storm knowledge and share it with everyone else. But then Alex was like, you should make an overlay for this. You should have a title for this. You should this, you should that. And I was just like, oh my God, there's so much more here than I originally thought. So the first episode was the Epic Storm and Ad Nauseum Tendrils with two experts of that deck. 
And then the most recent episode was Tom Hep talking about depths and Jarvis Yu talking about red green lands and two experts of those decks. I already have Phil Gallagher and Dugas on tr- Twitch lined up for the Death and Texas and Maverick episode. And awesome. Uh, I I guess the goal is just sort of like a documentary of legacy decks. Like it it's not present cutting edge technology. You're not gonna it's not gonna help you win your next tournament. But hopefully. Uh, someone getting into Legacy or someone who uh, has been playing Legacy but not for 13 years like me uh, can learn something and hopefully someone 10 years from now can watch these and learn something too like that that's kind of what I'm going for with that for sure and I mean I know you say like it won't help you win your next deck and that it's not like cutting edge tech of like the spicy new thing to sleeve up but I feel this is the sort of content that really helps people level up and, you know, they're not even thinking about winning. They're just thinking about, you know, leaving FNM with a winning record. And, you know, these are the types of discussions that really let players understand the game on a deeper level when they don't have access uh, to that in other areas. Because that's one of the biggest things I miss about events is some of the most fun of things of going to tournaments is just the little huddles that form of, you know, five, six, seven, eight players all in a circle, all like talking and sharing tech and, you know, debating. And you really have this exchange of knowledge that if you don't have the opportunity to go to tournaments, you really miss out on. And that's where you really learn how to truly play the game. I feel. Yeah. The deep analysis is slightly more structured, but it feels a lot like a dinner conversation, like that Saturday night mm-hmm. dinner uh, before day two of the <laughs> tournament when you, you're just yep. sitting with a bunch of magic experts and like, why'd you pick this deck? Like, how'd you get to that sideboard choice? And like, that's the, the talks that we have or like the, the car ride down Friday night where you're agonizing over the 15th <laughs> sideboard slot. <laughs> and like that, that's sort of what I'm trying to replicate, but with a, a longer eye towards history and timelessness. Nice. That's awesome. As uh, I remember driving to an event, uh, Rich Shea and Ian McCune telling me the uh, the old school slang for it, you know, back in the day, late 90s, early 2000s, is they would call it barnacling because there would usually be one very, you know, well-versed or individual who had just found the latest tech and like all the other people were latching onto them like barnacles to suck up that knowledge. <laughs> yes. That, that was one of the uh, derogatory gamer terms. Uh, when, <laughs> when I was PTQing in like that 2006 to 2010 era, I think the term mostly died off, but uh, they called people barns like, uh, like, Oh, that, that's what, oh, he, Jerry's one of Rich's barns. And like, yeah, <laughs> actually they were burning off me. That was the event. I uh, top eight at the GP. Wow. Even yeah. better. <laughs> that's how they knew it is. Ian was like, man, Ian came up to me. and was like, man, we're all just burning off of you. I'm like, what is burning? And that's how I learned this term. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's old ancient technology, ancient terminology. Ancient yeah. Like translated from the archaic. Well, the new age is all about reclaiming things, so we're going to reclaim Barning. Barning is going to now have a positive po- positive influence, you know, of just learning learning some good knowledge that you can get from some uh, awesome YouTube videos of conversations. Uh, speaking of that, we kind of talked a little bit about the show, but I feel YouTube is probably one of the most underdeveloped areas for legacy content right now. Like, I feel like there just aren't that many legacy YouTube channels. Uh, and we've made great strides in things like podcasts. There are so many legacy podcasts right now, which is awesome. There's so many legacy uh, Twitch streamers and now articles, but you know, still YouTubers are kind of few and far between. Yeah. So there's a lot of 
uh, stream VODs you can watch. Like at the end of a Twitch stream, Twitch gives you the option to just fire the stream VOD over to YouTube. And a lot of mm -hmm. people do that. But uh, I'm not going to lie, watching an unedited stream VOD sucks. Like, <laughs> it does. no offense to the streamers out there. Uh, keep it going. Streaming is really hard. And, but like, streaming is slow. There's sort of this like give and take with the chat. And that's only really valuable if you're live. And, like, you don't really care about, like, this chat meme if you're watching it a week and a half later and you just want to see the game played. So right. uh, just straight to YouTube content was made a lot of sense for me. I actually started streaming uh, the, the the GPU top beta, GPU Niagara, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I started streaming probably, like, six months before that event. And I think I was the only person in Legacy really talking about Blue-White Stoneblade leading up to that event. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I didn't see anyone else working on it, didn't see articles, didn't see streams. And that deck was everywhere, and it won that event. And yeah. I, I felt like I personally affected a GP metagame, which was a really cool feeling. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, streaming was not working for my life. Like, the, you have to be here, it's like a job, you have to, like... Uh, yeah, the consistency is key. Like that's the deaths of so many streamers is the consistency and it's so hard to do. Yeah, like if you're a legend like Rich Shea who would just boot up his stream when he felt like it and get 150 people and get Twitch partner with no effort, like that's great. Power to you. Uh Rich Shea is a, a dear friend of mine by the way. Uh we his time at uh, Carnegie Mellon University getting his PhD. That's in Pittsburgh. That's where I live. We had a lot of good years together. Nice, so nice. Anything yeah, I say about Rich guy. is full of love. But but he did just sort of fall backwards into Twitch partnership. And yeah, uh, so, but I was there doing the work. I was live like three nights a week for four hours, like every night. And that's while I was trying to hold a job, trying to maintain my friendships, trying to keep my girlfriend on, on the hook. And like <laughs> while also traveling for events two weekends a month or so. And uh, just that commitment was a nightmare. And I found myself canceling like one out of four streams because i couldn't do it and then not having fun when i could do it so uh, making just a giant lifestyle change of i realized i could record for youtube i could play that league whenever i wanted i, I could do it at 1 a.m and then release it at like 10 a.m two days later where when people were awake and it would look better than a, a twitch stream and it would just hold up better for people who wouldn't don't find it right away and uh, the rest is history pretty much and I've been doing that over a year now. Uh, I've been doing live content, like recorded streams or YouTube about two years, but the YouTube straight was about a year. Yeah, for sure. And I gotta say, I love it. I'm really sad, actually, there isn't more YouTube content because that's really how I consume media. Like, I've just never been a big streamer person like i just can't really get into streaming because i always find myself oh if i'm sitting in my computer watching someone play this game this just makes me want to boot up the game and play it instead right <laughs> so like my my attention span is just not there for streaming um but with youtube videos where i can you know have more control over it and like maybe like scrub through the video and um you know go to that some that part i'm really interested in and then rewatch it over and over in a loop two or three times you know that just is the way my brain works and lets me click a lot easier uh, and to understand the information better so it's just i i really wish more people would get into it and i hope you are paving the way brian for more uh, some legacy youtube content creators cuz it would be great to have so i think i am uh, i 
I co-host Eternal Glory podcast with Bryant Cook and Phil Gallagher, yep. uh, who are both you know, longtime legacy content creators. They run websites. They're great. And lately, like in the past month or so, uh, my YouTube kind of went off. Um, I, I was working from home for COVID. And as a special educator, there's not much you can do from a distance. You have to be like face to face with those kids to really do anything. So wor right. working from home was basically just... Uh, unemployed but collecting my full paycheck so i used that time to uh, upgrade my channel from like two or three videos a week sporadically to every single day 10 a.m a video comes out that's what i've been doing awesome. uh I, it i'm going into week five or six at this point of that schedule and it's working and it got a lot of traction i had my first video hit 5k views i had my first video hit 10k views i have one that's flirting with 15k right now and phil and bryant noticed and they wanted to talk about it. And we had this workshop where like they helped me with some tech stuff. I helped them with some YouTube stuff, like how to get your title and your thumbnail to catch the YouTube algorithm. So more people see it, more people click it, which generates more momentum in the algorithm. And uh, like all of those sort of tricks of the trade. And Phil has started releasing straight to YouTube videos in addition to his stream VODs. And he's done some really cool stuff there. Uh, Bryant has upgraded a lot of his... Uh, quality of life stuff like better titles better thumbnails he's been doing youtube the whole time it goes to the the epicstorm.com but it's hosted by youtube so he does have a channel that he's been doing the whole time but he's been doing a lot of stuff to clean it up and make it more exciting to click on so we're all buoying each other with that and jarvis recently told me he's thinking about doing some straight to youtube content as well and i'm excited about that because i'm the same as you like i want to turn that thing on 2x speed I want, it, yep. I want it to fly. If something's not exciting me, I want to skip. And uh, that's what I want. Uh, if, I, if I watch a stream at this point in my life, I usually watch. And the second they start like talking or joking with the chat or they pull up a different window to like look something up, I like try to click to fast forward and realize that's not how this works. <laughs> and then I turn it off. And it, I, I just really like YouTube for, for my time and my sensibilities. Yeah, definitely. Also, just... The magic of editing, like it's real cheesy uh, that people, you know, people don't always like it, but just like the reaction shots and the, um, you know, quick cuts and all this other stuff uh, that, you know, people maybe associate with kind of like clickbaity type stuff. But the reason why people do that is because it works and it's actually just what our brains want to see. It's how we like to consume information and just it keeps us entertained and it can really just keep that entertainment up, especially in a game like magic, which can have some really slow points <laughs> absolutely and it's legacy so i have to play magic online uh, like my two of the four pro tours i played on were on arena so i have a lot of t reps in on arena and i i think that platform is beautiful and it's dynamic it's exciting to watch and magic online is like scrolling through a spreadsheet sometimes <laughs> and uh <laughs> i i work with data for a living so i don't mind a spreadsheet but not everyone likes it and so you got to do something to spice that up. So I, I do a lot of like, if my opponent goes into the tank on their doomsday for 90 seconds, like I'll go clip that out later. So you don't have to watch it. Uh, like all of that sort of stuff. You just, it, it, it's a lot of work for me, but I've learned all, all sorts of cool things. Like I have no background in making videos, editing sound, uh, like all of this stuff I've just picked up over the last two years. And it's a lot of fun too. It's like solving a puzzle. Like, how do I make this work? Like the, the first episode of Deep Analysis, uh, you'll see the, the, uh, 
the overlay is kind of a mess. If you look too closely, the, the boxes are all shaped weird. Uh, all, all sorts of things are going on because I had never done any of that before. And then I think the production quality in episode two is just exponentially higher. And I think episode three is going to be better than that. So it, it's fun to grow my own skills while creating a better thing for everyone who wants to watch it. For sure. And yeah, I can't stress enough. Good video editing skills is something that you can pick up. And if you want to get into any sort of content creation, uh, having editing skills will is probably one of the most important skills to take with you. Yeah, I recently upgraded my uh, image editing skills from paint to yep. uh, to GIMP. <laughs> and yep. just the like Phil turned me on to GIMP. Bryant does video or does a design work for a living like that's literally his job so he's got the whole professional photoshop subscription and everything but phil uh, has gimp which is a free version of photoshop for those who don't know and mm -hmm. he turned me on to that and he was like just so you know you're not going to be able to use it right away <laughs> there's a lot of work yeah <laughs> but but i've put in the the hours clicking around with it and it's so satisfying like i genuinely delight when it's time to make a thumbnail for a new video because these ideas in my head like i can create like a funny thing like recently i was like uh, i recorded a azorius uh urza echo deck it's splash from monastery mentor into fairy and immediately in my head i was like i'm gonna do like the guy turning and looking at the hot girl on the street while his girlfriend looks mad meme <laughs> and it's gonna be urza looking at mentor with hall breacher looking mad and yep. then i was able to actually i had the the physical skills to make that idea into a real thumbnail so like those sort of things they're really exciting when you crack the nut on that <laughs> yeah for sure you know possibilities are endless once you uh get good at video editing and uh, uh image editing uh yeah i also put the hours in with gimp and it is not fun but you are right it is satisfying when you finally get that image the way you want it to be yeah the especially coming from paint where like i i i've been clicking around like making like throwing a quick meme together or something on paint my basically my whole life. Like I grew up in the computer era. Paint's always been there. So like I know exactly what it can do and I know what it can't do. <laughs> and one of the things that still is so satisfying to me is making layers in GIMP where like I want the background to stay where it is, but I want a little bit to come off of this uh, <laughs> copy paste I just did. Like there's a little too much here. Let me clean up the edges and being able to erase something on the top layer and unveil the background behind it rather than just erasing everything like you'd have to do in yep. paint is just so satisfying. Oh my <laughs> God. Well, also you can tell the difference between like paint and gimp because paint is, uh, you know, it would be like the base image with a square cutout plastered on top. And then another square <laughs> plastered on top, just like super rough edges. <laughs> yep. And any sort of uh, clipping of the edges is like, you have to use like the lasso tool and really get in there and just, mm -hmm carefully work the whole thing and if you zoom out it drops your selection so it like yeah paint sucks <laughs> <laughs> so yeah if uh, you haven't heard of gimp yet gimp is a is a really awesome program and it's completely free which is nice uh it's basically a uh you know mock photoshop for more or less uh but yeah awesome so what's what's kind of next with the uh youtube channel you said you're gonna keep up the deep analysis series but you also have some other series on your youtube uh as well right yeah so my normal content is just video uh leagues uh generally i play 
Eternal Constructed is generally the, the theme of my channel. So everything Pioneer back to Vintage. And you can tell if you go back through my archive what tournaments I was testing for. Because like if a modern Grand Prix is coming up, I'm going to play a lot of modern and release all those videos. Uh, when Vintage Champs was coming up, I released a lot of Vintage. And now that there are no tournaments, I'm just releasing almost exclusively Legacy. So, but uh, that's... That's generally what I do. There's going to be some Eternal Constructed drop every weekday at 10 a.m. Eastern, and those are scheduled. I'm scheduled two weeks out at this point. Like I could just take a nap for two weeks, and they would keep coming. So uh, I'm really committed to keeping that schedule going. I'm back at work in person now, which uh, I'm not excited about, but that re- I lost basically 40 hours a week of video production time. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm slotting that into my current schedule, and it looks like I'm going to be be able to maintain it but that's what i do most of the time i have another series called wizard school which is uh basically a a nuts and bolts like where deep analysis is more of answering the question what is legacy rather than how do i play legacy wizard school is totally answering the question how do i play legacy Uh, i i try to take a topic and just shortcut it like all of the things that i've learned about a specific topic and just cram it into 10 or 15 minutes of just this is everything I know about casting Brainstorm. This is everything I know about Wasteland. Uh, this is everything I know about Ponder. I, and just like really hit one topic hard for 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm pretty proud of that series. Uh, it only really applies to a pretty specific group of people. Like it's not evergreen. You probably watch it once or twice when you're learning. And if you're already a master, you, it's probably not going to be super helpful. But uh, I am proud of that series as well. So I'm offering a couple different things over there. Nice. Do you ever feel like uh, because you're playing a niche format of a not so niche, but still kind of niche game, do you ever feel kind of limited with your YouTube growth? Like, do you ever see yourself like maybe taking this full time? So somebody asked me that recently. Like I I, I tweeted my Patreon link and I was like, hey, I'm going back to work. It's going to be hard to stay motivated to do five videos a week. Jumping on the Patreon will help. And somebody replied, like, what would it take? How many patrons would you need to go full time? And I don't think that I want it. Like, (laughs) there's probably some number where if I'm just making like, I don't know, 100K a year on Patreon, like, sure, I'll quit my job. But (laughs) uh, I I have a, a pretty specific master's degree in a science that I really like. I have a career that I really like. So I'm not looking to, you know, get out of my job. And like, I'm... I'm 33 years old. I'm not fresh out of college. Like I have a career that I'm very <laughs> happy with. So I'm, I'm not looking to jump out. And uh, also on top of that, like if magic became my job, it wouldn't be fun anymore. Uh, I, right. This is a hobby. If five videos a week becomes even a little bit stressful to me, I'll stop. Like I'll just drop down to three or whatever. Like I'm, I, I exist in this space purely as it suits me <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. And Right now, it suits me to put out a video a day, and I like that. But I, I'm not trying to go full-time or anything like that. Mm. How, how long would you say each video kind of takes you to make? Oh, that, that depends. So a league video, the first consideration is the list. Like, if I'm just pulling, like, the, the championship list from last tournament, last Sunday's challenge, and I just copy-paste, like... The list is quick. 
uh, I do donation decks on my channel. Like uh, you can message me and we'll work out like, what do you want to play? And it'll cost an amount of money to, for me to play your deck on the stream. I'll deck tech it. I'll tune it up. I'll play a league. I'll send you my thoughts. Like that's a service I offer. That's a lot of my videos right now. Uh, if those lists are fleshed out, it's fine. Some people are just like, I want you to like somebody sent me an idea. Like they're just like, I want you to play treasure hunt in modern or legacy. And it has to be fair. Like no Thassa's Oracle, no, no 56 lands Thassa's Oracle decks. Like I want you to like string together land drops and win somehow with like dread presence or Valakut or whatever. And I, like that takes a lot of time. Cause I have to, invent a modern archetype basically so right so that's the first test of how much time it's going to take is how fleshed out is this deck then the next one is how does the deck play like a a league with like uh i recorded a league with uh, show and tell for the channel uh that league took about an hour and a half the next day i recorded a league with the what i'm calling mon shark which is the uh shark typhoon with the new monarch cards uh that's mm -hmm. sort of my signature archetype these days uh, people come to me for shark typhoon technology and i try not to disappoint so i recorded a mon shark league that took three hours and 20 minutes so and that's just how those decks play uh, and yep. a, a 21 turn game for five rounds or a, a four turn game for five rounds and then on top of that is the amount of editing i have to do like i record each i record the deck tech then each match separately then i have to splice them together I have to make sure the sound lines up because I have a uh, I have like an intro clip with like a theme song and my like uh, Patreon pitch that is at the beginning of all my videos, which was recorded slightly louder than my <laughs> uh, computer records my league. So I have to adjust the volume, make sure all my leagues line up with that. And so there's that amount of time. And then on top of that, there's did anything go wrong, which yeah, like did a, an opponent disconnect in round three? Do I have to go crop that disconnect out uh did i don't know did i like sneeze really loud without muting my mic in round four like the, those are the sort of things that i'll make a note of like i have notepad up on my second monitor and i'm i'll just write like uh game three turn four uh long pause and my opponent's in the tank on a ponder or whatever and the audience doesn't need 90 seconds of pondering so uh all of those things so a, a league video could take somewhere between two hours of work and four or five. But compare that to uh, Wizard School or Deep Analysis. Deep Analysis is an hour long. I try to keep it exactly an hour. And there's show notes ahead of time. Like I, I talk to my guests. We get uh, something, basically an outline of what we're going to talk about in what order we're going to talk about it. And then we have the thing. And I... I edit later, so anytime someone says, like, oh, Veil of Summer, Veil of Summer pops up on the screen. And I have to insert all of those cards manually yep. afterwards. So I'm, like, going to Scryfall, pulling the image, putting it into my edit software, lining it up in the right spot in the video. And then I have to do that every time someone mentions a magic card, which you can imagine <laughs> occurs a few times uh, over the course of an hour talking about magic cards. But but those are so important because like, that's what we were talking about before. Like those are the edits that make YouTube more enjoyable to watch than a stream. Like that is exactly what is most important. Exactly. Yeah. So a, 
A two-hour league takes about three hours of work. A one-hour deep analysis takes about seven hours of work, honestly. Yeah, and I bet. And it, it's it's good that I'm so proud of that series because it doesn't get the hits that like some clickbait meme deck will. So like I'm not generating the same sort of traffic or ad revenue, but I'm just really proud of the product. So I I'm happy right. to to put in that extra work for not the same sort of payout. Uh, this this is a uh, this is a mental note for Wilson Hunter. Wilson Hunter make uh, YouTubers' lives easier. Make a cardboard live plugin that just pops up the card whenever someone mentions the name. Voice voice activity <laughs> card pop up. That'd be nice. That would be phenomenal. <laughs> Million dollar idea, Wilson. <laughs> make it work. Uh, awesome. So I mean that's that's great. I mean it is a lot of work. Um, you know I I. I do really hope people appreciate that because you do make some uh, awesome videos and you know really looking forward to see what else you you come out with yeah i'm excited to see where it goes too just uh, the idea like deep analysis like i said just fell into my lap after being wrong in an article one time and a twitter <laughs> conversation launched a thousand ships so who knows what the next uh, spark of idea is and just always being ready for it and now having the skill set to make it happen is just pretty exciting awesome awesome well, uh, cool. I guess uh, you want to get into some uh, Keldheim spoilers? We got some spice coming out. Yeah, let's let's talk about this set. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to talk about the one that was just spoiled uh, today because I found it pretty interesting. Uh, Dream Devourer. Have you seen this card yet? Uh, I have not. Let me figure out how Mythic Spoiler is sorted and then I can find the card. Oh, oh, that's, that, that's the, the one that gives all your things foretell. Yeah, okay, so yeah. it's uh it's an O3 demon. Uh you know, smallest demon I think ever. <laughs> uh Dream Devourer, one in a black for an O3 dream demon cleric. Each non-land card in your hand without foretell has foretell. And now that's the new mechanic that basically lets you prepay for spells. You pay two colorless and you exile the spell and then you can play it for its foretell cost at a later time. Um its foretell cost is equal to its mana cost reduced by two. Whenever you foretell a card, Dream Devourer gets plus two plus zero until end of turn. That part I feel is kind of irrelevant, but I mean, maybe it'll be interesting. I think what most people are thinking of is this is basically a way for combo decks to prepay for combo pieces while also hiding them from discard effects. Yeah, that. That is certainly a powerful effect. Uh, I saw someone in the Leaving Legacy Facebook group specifically mention Painter Serpent. Like, uh, yes. Painter and Grindstone each cost less than two. So the foretell cost mm -hmm. is zero. You pay two mana up front, you float that thing in exile till you're ready, and then you just Hadoken it into play all at once when it's time. <laughs> exactly, because unless your opponent is running uh, uh, Pull from Exile... Uh, or sorry, pull from eternity. The only card that interacts with the ex exile zone, those cards are just untouchable. Like until the painter servant is ready to play them and go off, like you can't interact with them. They're just out there, and then they just get to play them for free on an untapped board, so they can just have a handful of counter magic at that time and not have to worry about paying any costs for the actual combo. I'm gonna fact check you real quick. There's also Rift Sweeper and Wasteland Strangler. 
Oh, I'm so, sorry. The two more interacting yeah, with the exiles. I, <laughs> I, I hope I hope that Legacy ends up in a place where Maverick is playing just one Rift Sweeper in their Green Sun Zenith package. Right. Yeah, <laughs> just because of Dream Devourer, stock up on your Rift Sweepers now, and guys. <laughs> and Wasteland Strangler kills the card the exile and kills the Dream Devourer. Oh, that that's oh, nasty. Man. Sign it up now. um so yeah let's talk about this i mean this guy is kind of fragile and the problem is is he's best in combo decks but one of the big strengths of a lot of combo decks is they don't run uh creatures which makes their fair deck opponents uh removal spells useless and this turns it back on how big of a deal do you feel that is for this guy so uh, a bunch of i think yeah i think you're spot on there like that that sorts of plowshares that's been rotting in hand that virtual card advantage uh, that's, oh, plow that thing. <laughs> sure. <Yeah>. Um, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure you have to foretell as a sorcery. So like you cast this thing for two mana, you have priority, another two mana to foretell the first card. So that's four mana to get the first card foretold. And when you pass priority to foretell the first card, they can plow in response. So it, it's not like you can hold priority with eight mana and just hide three cards. So there, it's a big cost to, that turns on removal, and I guess in like specifically a deck like Painter, where Swords to Plowshares and Lightning Bolt are good against your combo too, uh, floating this thing out might not be the worst as as a lightning rod. But if we're mm-hmm. trying to you know, tuck cards, if you're trying to tuck that show and tell or that sneak attack for later, that's it's going to be a whole lot worse. Yeah, one thing this actually kind of reminds me of a little bit is uh, Arcane Artisan in sneak and show and i almost feel like dream devourer could kind of fit a similar role in that it's maybe not necessarily a main deck card but a sideboard card you bring in to shore up your matches where after your opponent has sided out their removal now you bring your creatures in um i find with arcane artisan that happens a lot where game two i bring in arcane artisan and my opponent's like damn i sided out my lightning bolts and arcane artisan's untouchable also what i really like about arcane artisan that shares with dream devourer is that big butt of O3, which as a combo deck is a lot more relevant than people realize there are just a lot of creatures in legacy that have a two power toughness you know thalias and uh young pyromancers and you know dark confidants to a lesser extent or vampire hex mages and as a combo deck these creatures can often just chip away at your life total but having an O3 in play as a blocker I've won games because that was the difference between me dying before I could get my combo off or staying alive that extra turn or two because I had an O3 blocker. So that I also do like as as kind of a an advantage to keep you alive a little bit longer as a damage soak. Oh, absolutely. I I recently released a video a variant on on Shark Still that used the uh, energy field rest in peace combo and mm-hmm. I, I had wall of omens in that deck, like straight up wall of yeah. omens. And it was, it was a two of, but it was exactly what you said. Like, it's just this thing you can put in place, soak up a little bit of damage, just by a little bit of time. And on the other side, you're untouchable. So that, yeah, that does go a long way. For sure. For sure. Well, I definitely, I definitely think dream devourer is interesting. I mean, it, time will tell if it'll be a legacy, uh, you know, playable or staple, but I definitely think plenty of people are going to experiment with it. Cause this is just, this card just screams build around me. Yeah, for sure. Taking a look. Uh, there were a couple other interesting cards. How do you feel about the set in general? I think like 
as a magic player outside detached from legacy this set is pretty cool there's a lot of cool stuff going on the modal double face cards they they just tried them in zendikar rising they liked them here's a bunch more i think that's cool um it it doubles the amount of words you can put on a card and uh (laughs) so it's just cool design space and i'm glad it's here the the flavor is awesome we have we have a loki we have a thor we have a an odin like all of this uh norse mythology is here and yep like i love that and then like also my own upbringing like i grew up in like the punk and hardcore scene so like metal is very very close <laughs> in hand so metal this yes is so metal <laughs> like all of these metal references like uh getting like uh cannibal corpse or whatever to release spoilers is is really exciting so uh, i i love all of that from a legacy player standpoint there's not a whole lot that's gonna break into legacy and that's sort of a relief uh like there are there are some cool things like we just talked about uh the dream devourer or is that what that card's called yeah dream devourer and yeah. uh, we're going to talk about a couple other cards that might see play. Uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about Valky, Lord of Lies, like cascading into a seven drop. Like that's a cool thing. But in general, there, there's no Oko, there's no Uro, there's not even a Veil of Summer. Like there, there's not even like a Flusterstorm. Like there's, there, there's <laughs> nothing that's obviously going to change Legacy in this set. And uh, I, for one, uh, welcome the break. I agree. I feel that these legacy cards or these potential legacy cards uh, hit the sweet spot in that a lot of the cards that I want to talk about in the spoiler are mostly like build around me janky combo cards that are not really that great, but could still be fun to play in a legacy deck. And I feel that's exactly what we should get from most sets is here's some cool new toys to uh, try out, but we are not going to break the format in half by any means. Yep, I appreciate that. And uh, was Gavin your last guess uh, before me, or was there an episode? Uh, yes, yeah, because unfortunately we had a skip last yeah. week because of uh, uh, timing. But yeah, Gavin was the last guest we had on the podcast. Yeah, I, I listened to that episode. Uh, Gavin's great. I love that inside insight uh, to design <laughs> and all of that. So, uh, and and we currently like as of today. I, I mean, like the ban hubbub has always been happening like the dreadhorde arcadis the okos astrolabe veil of yeah. summer what whatever uro uh that's always been happening but just today there seemed to be a giant push from a number of people who are like no right now well, get rid of dreadhorde arcadis <laughs> and oko this is not acceptable anymore well it's because uh the showcase came out today did you see the showcase oh yeah yeah results? that like yeah <laughs> like the top eight was uh six oko decks a deck that beats oko decks and then Oops, all spells, which is just an all in combo deck that could play against a brick wall and it wouldn't know the difference. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just not a great spot. But uh, we'll we'll save that for another day. But yeah, it, I think it's good. It's definitely healthy that we're not getting those absolutely insane cards like Oko or your Uro or, you know, just Planeswalk three drop Planeswalkers in general. <laughs> it's it's nice to get these these cool cards. And speaking of. This card, when I when I looked at it at first, uh, I was just like, "What? What the fuck is this?" It just like it it feels like uh, the editor fell asleep at his keyboard. Um, but now that it's someone made a uh, a wacky new combo deck with it, I'm it's growing on me a little bit. And that's a uh, Tibalt's trickery, 
Have you seen this? Oh, yeah. And I knew what you were talking about before you even said the name. Uh, This. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Read. Let's just read this because this is like there's this is what kills me is that like this screams like Wizards Design Initiative. I'm doing bunny ears quotes for our listeners at home, but their design initiative where they have like certain rules, it, it leads to this overly designed cards that are more complicated than they need to be. So Tybalt's Trickery is one in a red for an instant. Counter target spell, which is just interesting. We're getting a red counter spell, which doesn't happen all that often. And then it's choose one, two, or three at random. Its controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than that spell. They may case, cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then they put the exiled cards on the bottom of their library in a random order. All of that paragraph is literally just so that they don't have to say, shuffle your library. <laughs> like, the whole choose one, two, or three at random, like, come on, just just shuffle. Like, we don't need to get this overly complicated just to randomize the top of someone's someone's deck. Yeah, this is a word soup for sure. Uh, When I read it at first, it didn't make any sense. Then it made a little more sense. And then I figured out what they were doing, which was uh, they they don't want this to be a combo card. They want it to be a red counter spell. They want you to be able to chaos warp a spell on the stack. And that's all they want this to be. And And we made a combo deck with it anyway. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It turns out if the only cards in your deck are... Like, so the combo deck was like, I think it was like one Tybalt's Trickery, uh, th- four uh, Violent Outburst, and two yeah. or three Emrakul, and then yep. lands. And then the rest, and then lands. I'm, I'm affectionately dubbing this deck Oops All Lands. <laughs> this, is, this is the antithesis of Oops All Spells. We now have Oops All Lands. So Violent Out- Outburst is a uh, Cascade card that's one red-green. Creatures you control get plus one, plus zero, and two on a turn. It doesn't actually matter, because what you do is you just mulligan with the London mulligan until you get a violent outburst, make your third land drop, cast violent outburst, and the only thing I can cascade into is Tybalt's Trickery, uh, which then mills your deck until you hit Emrakul. And they have two Emrakuls as redundancy in case you accidentally get it in those first three cards, or you draw it, or something like that. But basically, this is just an all-in deck that combos into an Emrakul on turn three. I don't think it's very good, but at the same time, Oops All Spells wasn't very good when it first came out. And now Oops All Spells is consistently top-aiding. So, you know, who knows? Down the line, we could get some interesting tools for this deck. This is definitely something funny that I could see bringing to FNM when I just want to have a laugh. Yeah, I'll definitely say that any combo deck being built with this card is definitely to see if we can it, it's it's yeah. very much in the <laughs> theoretical space right now uh i don't think this card is certainly not broken i'm not even sure if it's good but uh, <laughs> it is definitely a challenge for the johnnies out there for sure definitely i think what it's going to come down to is like figuring out ways to make it a little bit more resilient uh 
you know, probably adding some Visage juice to make the violent. Oh, no, actually, that wouldn't work. Never mind. So, yeah. see, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out the problems as it was. I, someone mentioned on the Facebook page, too. It's like, oh, we should add some Simeon Spirit Guides and Elvish Spirit Guides. It's like, well, no, that's not going to work because then the Tibalt's trickery is going to trigger off them instead of Emrakul. And it's it's cool cards like this that present these problems that you have to get around that really test your uh, your knowledge base of the magic card pool and what actually works and what doesn't. Yeah, the fact we're working so hard to figure out how this could be improved means that Wizards did what they wanted to do, which was they did not reprint Mind's Desire. They did not give us a two-mana red show and tell. They, they gave us something else. They gave us that chaos warp yeah. they wanted to give us. Exactly. So while I was lamenting the uh, the word soup of the card, I think the design space that came out of it was was worth it in the end. Uh, the next card kind of on my list that uh, I feel has the potential to uh, see some play is In Search of Greatness. Have you seen this? I have. That's the uh, green, green enchantment. The, yep. Green, green enchantment. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a permanent spell from your hand with converted mana cost equal to one plus the highest converted mana cost among other permanents. That was key. I missed that other at first, and I thought this card was much better than it was initially. But among other permanents you control without paying its mana cost. And then just as the cherry on top, in case that wasn't good enough, if you don't manage to do that, you get to scry one. Yeah. I mean... I I saw wide re- variations of reactions to this card. Uh, I think somebody shared a screenshot where it was literally three different comments on the card in the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group. That was just like, <laughs> this is broken. Yes, Wizards doesn't care about Legacy. I'm quitting Magic. And then it was like, this is fine. And this is terrible. This is unplayable garbage. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All three reactions of how this card would play out. <laughs> Um, I think the the cool th- uh, combo I saw is that you can get a uh, turn three Grizzlebrand uh, with this card by going uh, Gurmag Angler into In Search of Greatness, and then In Search of Greatness triggers off the Gurmag Angler to allow you to play Grizzlebrand for free. Right. Uh, Allosaurus Rider, also a seven drop that you can play for no mana. Yep, which hasn't seen much legacy play, but is a pretty popular uh, card in uh, in modern because it's part of a uh, Grishel brand, isn't it? Uh, it's it's in the Neoform deck or Neoform, yes, that's yeah, what it is. which is the current iteration of Grishel brand. Yep, yeah, it's kind of what Grishel brand it evolved into. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I kind of see it in that same line where this is kind of another tool. It's in the right colors as Allosaurus Rider as well, so it just kind of it slots into that. I mean, it might be maybe the catalyst to, that allows Neoform to kind of make the jump to Legacy because I have played against Neoform in Legacy. Like, I've definitely seen it. It's not very popular. It doesn't come around every every so often. But Neoform is definitely one of those decks where it's like, oh, you're a modern player and you there's a Legacy event coming up that you want to try out. It's like, oh, just make a couple changes to your Neoform deck and you'll have a, you know, not embarrassing Legacy deck. Yeah, you can show up with Neoform. That's totally fine. Um, in search of greatness, just looking at all the words on this card, uh, in, in your, your episode with Gavin, he talked about like cranking the knobs a little bit to get them more into where they want them to be. And just like Tibalt's trickery in search of greatness, they've clearly dialed in the knobs on the side of caution. So, yes. <laughs> uh, first off, 
you may cast a permanent spell from your hand. They they realize that the busted spells are non-permanents most of the time. Like you don't just get to fire a show and tell onto the stack triggered off your defense grid. Like yeah. that that's not what they're letting us do here. Uh, also, with converted mana cost equal to one plus, it's not one plus or less. It's yes. it's one plus. So like. My immediate thought was like, oh, I cast this, then I just start firing Ancestral Visions off of my lands, like with uh, being <laughs> my most expensive not other permanent is zero. But as, they, like a, as like an As Foretold variation. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and they made sure this card is not As Foretold. Uh, this is something very different. And I think the floor on this is way too low to really make it in Legacy. Uh, I, I'm just trying to think of outside of like a Grizzle brand combo deck like why is this card better than neoform in that deck and mm. neoform's already not really played in legacy except uh, as a meme or as a, a budget choice so i'm not really sure what this offers one area where this i feel was more pushed than they usually do was in the fact that it's actually you can cast a permanent and not a creature because when i yes. first read this card my brain auto-filled creature because that's what i was expecting and then I read, oh, it's actually a permanent. So if I don't have a Grizzlebrand, instead I can cast my Ugin off of my Gurmag Angler. Angler. So I think I think that's also interesting that you can, um, uh, you know, play your Planeswalkers, your Enchantments, uh, you know, all these other cards. You're not restricted just just being a creature based deck, which I feel would have really hampered this card. Um. And yeah, I think this does kind of compete in the same space as As Foretold, because in my mind, what this card says is even if you have nothing else going on, because your lands count as permanence, you basically can always play one drops for free. Right. And then that scry clause at the bottom, like the, the last sentence, if you don't scry one. Right, so, exactly. So even if I don't have a one drop, I can still at least scry one and try and find something that I was looking for. One thing that I, I really don't like about this card, I think is a big strike against it is that at some point you're going to find greatness. Like you're going <laughs> to cast the most expensive card in your deck. And now this just scries one because it doesn't yes. say or less. Like it's not as foretold where like you've already gone off. Now you can still ponder. Oh, that's true. Like, like you, you, once you ramp up, there's no going back. Yeah. Once that Ugin's in play, you're just scrying one. I mean, your Ugin better win the game. It, it probably will. But like, I, yeah, it, I didn't even think about that. You're right. Yeah, like you can't just put this into like Snowco <laughs> and like your Astrolabe casts a Dreadhorde Arcanus, which casts an Oko, and then oh my deck caps out at three. Whoops. Now I'm scoring right. one. That's a great point. Yeah, just cue the DJ Khaled uh you know, suffering from greatness. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um uh my other thing was the fact that it's other permanence. That's why I thought this was so broken, is because my thought immediately went to, oh, now all these Oko decks are just gonna slam this on turn two. And then turn three, they're going to cast Oko for free while keeping all their mana up for, you know, permission or removal or, or what have you. Uh, but the fact that it's other permanents, I feel, also really dials this back in. Yeah, yeah, they 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 kept all of those dials firmly at about a five. We, we didn't even get a seven out of ten on this. Uh, yep. I, they were very careful. <laughs> for sure. Um. What was the other one, the legendary creature you wanted to chat about? Uh, Valky, God of Lies. I don't think I've seen this one yet. Oh, How, you're in for a treat. It? It's, uh, it's black. It's a mythic rare. It's on the top row of the main spoiler page. Ah, top row. 
Okay. Oh, it's a flip card. Yep. So one in a black for a two one. Got that dark confidant vibe going. It's a legendary creature god. When Valky enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card they revealed this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. So that just screams EDH to me, but is just, you know, some good discard. Yep, this is all flavor text. We'll get to the fireworks. Okay. Uh, X, choose a creature card exiled with Valky with converted mana cost X. Valky becomes a copy of that card. Okay, that's interesting. And now it flips as Tybalt. Oh, I love the flavor of this set even more that Tybalt is basically the Loki of Kyle yep. time. So uh, I, I want to clarify real quick. It doesn't flip. It's a modal double face card. So you choose oh, which sorry, one you're yes. going to get. Yes, you're, you're right. It is modal double quick, uh, face. It's not a flip. So the backside of the card is five black red for five loyalty. As Tybalt enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with, you may play cards exiled with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. Plus two, exile the top card of each player's library. Minus three, exile target artifact or creature. Minus eight, exile all cards from all graveyards. Add red, red, red. Nothing about that screams too broken to me, but I'm guessing what you're interested in is cheating this into play off of the front face of the card. Yep. So uh, remember cascading into boom bust? Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking yep. of. You can choose you, either side. Yep. Yep. You cascade into Valky God of Lies. You choose to cast it and you choose to cast the Tybalt Cosmic Imposter side. So you can cascade into Tybalt Cosmic Imposter off of a three drop. <laughs> Shardless Agent just breathed a sigh of relief because it was gathering more and more dust going into the dustbin of Legacy's history. We finally have not just one, but now two cards that make Cascade relevant again in this set. Yep, and uh, I'm not going to pretend I poured over the entire Commander Legend spoiler, but a lot of cards in that set have Cascade on them. So mm -hmm. there might be something lurking over there. Uh, like, uh, to be honest, uh, even cascading into Tybalt Cosmic Imposter on turn two. Like, you can play Spirit Guides in this deck. Uh, you just need Valky to be your only two drop. But, like, a turn one or turn two Tybalt Cosmic Imposter isn't necessarily a game winner, uh, which is... <laughs> yeah! <laughs> like, it's just a sweet thing you can do. Right. Which is, yeah, I, I feel this is also the, the dialing in of the novel, uh, the knobs, you know. For a seven-drop Planeswalker, he's not that great. Like, this is definitely not Karn or Ugin level. Or, hell, this isn't even, like, Elspeth level. Like, I'd rather no. I'd rather cascade into Elspeth than <laughs> Tybalt Cosmic Imposter. For sure, yeah. But uh, Elspeth, unfortunately, doesn't have a two-drop on the front of her. So Unfortunately th not. This is the tool we were given. Uh, again, <laughs> I don't think this is great. Uh, it suffers from all the the normal problems of uh, a cascade deck. Um, I think this deck is better than the Tybalt Strickery cascade deck, whatever these decks are, because <laughs> this deck can do other things. It doesn't have right. to play uh, it, 52 lands or whatever. Yeah. It's not a glass cannon completely. Right. So, I mean, that it's just an interaction that exists in the set. It's cool. I, I, I it's interesting. I don't think we're going to see it in any serious context, like you say, but you know, definitely cool that it's something that can be done. I mean, as a person who makes a legacy YouTube video every day of the week, I'm probably going to play this deck. <laughs> like <laughs> nice. Th this is, this is right where, uh, generating those clicks kicks in and, 
uh, Tybalt will be in play at some point on my channel, I promise. <laughs> Hell yeah, I look forward to that video. Uh, kind of in that same vein is the modal white god, uh, Sword of the Realms and Halvar, god of battle. Uh, I know uh, some of the Death and Taxes players were talking about this because because it's a equipment on one side, it can technically be uh, tutored for by Stoneforge Mystic. Now, take that with a grain of salt. I have not confirmed that with a judge yet, or I don't even know if the official rules for Caltime have come out yet that have addressed this. But assuming that that premise is correct, um, you know that could be interesting. That uh, this could be a one of addition to Stoneforge Mystic decks as a uh, another tool for them to grab. So in addition to all of the other things I've been up to in my magic career, I've also been a level two judge for 12 years, and I am pretty sure that doesn't work. Okay. (laughs) Uh, As always, like we're we're trained not to give confident rulings until the rules FAQ comes out, and I don't think it's out yet, but I am fairly confident that in all modes except the stack or in play, these double face cards are the front half, or else you could like thought seize somebody's... uh, Agadim's Awakening. I guess you can do that anyway because it's a spell on the front, but like uh, you could, uh, what's the uh, ostracize? Is that the the one that takes a land, the duress that can take a land? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, like you could ostracize an Agadim's Awakening because it's uh, Agadim, the Crypt of Agadim on the back. Like I'm pretty sure this does not work. Uh, like you, you can't Inquisition of Kozilek, this card out of someone's hand, so therefore you shouldn't be able to search for it with Stoneforge Mystic. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense. Um, how about it just as on its own? Um, so it's one and a white for a legendary artifact equipment. Crypto creature gets plus two, plus zero, and has vigilance. Whenever a crypto creature dies, return to its owner's hands. Equipped one and a white. Not great. I feel definitely not a equipment most people are going to be tripping over themselves to play. Yeah, I mean, people might try it. Uh, I can see, like, pretty cool board states where, like, you just put this on the same Flicker Wisp every turn and you attack, and if they kill it, you get to Flicker again, and if they don't kill it, they take five. So, like, that's cool. I can see cool things happening, but I, I don't think this reaches the legacy power level. Maybe if you could search it with Stoneforge Mystic and you have the option of making a 4-4 creature instead of the equipment, or you could like Stoneforge in the 4-4 creature instead of the equipment, which also doesn't work because you can't Stoneforge in the the creature to begin with. But uh, if things work the way that people wish they did, there could be some cool play here, but I, I don't think it makes the cut as is. Yeah, unfortunately, neither neither do I. Though that would if if it does end up working, that would be sweet because I do find that every time I play a Stoneforge Mystic deck, I always find myself casting mo- more Stoneforge Mystics than I have equipments in my deck. Like I've put back so many uh, batter skulls off a of brainstorm and just used Stoneforge Mystic as a draw card. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> the best kind. <laughs> <laughs> having having another uh, target for Stoneforge for those late game interactions uh, would be nice. Um, and then the front of uh, the card, Halvar, God of Battle, two white, white for a 4-4. Creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped it, or equipped have double strike. Uh, at the beginning of each combat, you may search target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control uh, to target creature you control. So basically, you can just re-equip for free. You can throw that batter skull on something else. Yeah, I... Uh... 
doesn't scream playable. <laughs> nah, people are going to try it. Uh, I, I have a local who plays uh, Stoneforge Mystic decks, and he is not afraid of a wonky one. Uh, he's actually absolutely destroyed me with Hammer of Nizan a number of times. Uh, nice. And like, uh, I, I can see him trying that <laughs> or, or brewers like him, like death and taxes players do your due diligence. Don't write it off without testing, but uh, I don't think it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not quite, especially, I mean, death and taxes, I feel is so much competition these days. It's really hard to earn a spot in death and taxes. Uh, that pretty much does it for the cards I wanted to talk about. Was there anything, uh, you wanted to address that we might've missed? Uh, there's one more since we're on the topic of death and taxes and that's, uh, Redain, God of the Worthy. So many gods in this set. There are a lot of gods. There's like lesser gods and greater gods. The whole pantheon is present. Plus oh. a, a random Phyrexian Praetor is here. Uh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure how Vorinclex made it to Kaldheim, but I'm excited to to <laughs> read the story. Which that uh we talked about this with Gavin a little bit, but the uh the blocks going away, like I feel there's so much more story that could be there. It's like if the Phyrexians invade uh invade Kel time like how metal would that be Phyrexians versus Vikings like that just screams like metal poster to me <laughs> yeah that would be metal AF plus like when the Vikings start to get completed and you just have these already metal people who are now literally metal right like that that is pretty exciting um though I'm not gonna lie when when it turned out that the big twist in the return to Innistrad was surprise Emrakul is here I was pretty annoyed <laughs> because that set uh, that set yeah. followed a Zendikar block. We had a Zendikar block, and like we were like, oh, we got a Kozilek and an Ulamog. What happened to Emrakul? And then we were back at Innistrad. Surprise, nerds. Emrakul's here. I didn't love that crossover. Yeah, so I mean, so those are like the big baddies of magic, right? We got Nicol Bolas, the OG. Uh, then you got Eldrazi, and then you got Phyrexians. And I feel just Eldrazi have been done done to death. And frankly, I just don't find Phyrexian or uh, Eldrazi that interesting. No. Like, just, like, existential Eldritch horror <laughs> is, is, like, it doesn't make the best bad guys, in my point of view. Like, it makes great horror, but it doesn't make, like, the typical, like, we are battling against a bad guy type setup. Yeah, and I, I don't like that all of the minions of Eldrazi are just mindless drones. Like, th that's not compelling to me. Like, I, I like that Phyrexians have a hierarchy. There's, like, Yogmoth running the show, and then he has Praetors uh, under him, and then, like, there are generals. There's, like, an army structure to the Phyrexians, and there are sort of mindless drones at the bottom, but you can run into, like, a Jin Gataxius or, like, a Tisabo Tavik, and, like, they, they can actually... Have be a compelling big bad on a small story, but there's a bigger bad pulling the strings. And yeah. but but the idea that like we have these giant titans, Eldrazi titans, and they're like little squigglies that are squiggling around. And <laughs> I, I I don't I'm not super interested in that. But I love the Phyrexians. They they are like straight up. They're almost literally the Daleks from Doctor Who. Like they're they're lore. Yeah. Like they. Yep. They want to turn all organic matter into more powerful machine matter. And they have uh, uh, a big guy in the middle, Yogmoth. That's the, uh, the Dalek leader whose name is escaping me right now. Everybody, please crucify me for that on social I, media. I want to say it starts with a D. It's like Devin, Davin, uh, uh, Davos. Davos. Davos, yep. Davos. Yep. Or Davros. 
Davros, yeah. Yeah, Davos is a Game of Thrones character. And yes. then Davros is the... <laughs> Davros is the Dalek, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a giant poster in my basement. It's a, a Doctor Who comic book cover. And then it says, plus the return of Davros across the bottom. And that, I was kicking myself for not being able to pull that up. But yeah, Yogmoth <laughs> is Davros. And then uh, there's the, the Dalek, Rexing Pecking Order. I wouldn't mind seeing them come back and doing something cool. Yeah, for sure. Because... It feels like a fight that you can take. Like, I feel also the problem with the Eldrazi is, like, because they're Eldritch Horrors and they're just existential terror, it doesn't feel like it's something you can fight, really. Like, it just feels too big. Whereas, like you said, because the Phyrexians have this army structure, like, it feels like you could have these epic, like, Vikings versus Phyrexian army battles that would just play out really cool in in games. Yeah, the... I, I own all of every magic novel that's ever been printed. I own them. I've read them. And the the invasion and apocalypse storyline was one that I read when it was new. I was probably in about sixth or seventh grade. And just Love it. my my like 12 year old brain trying to grok the scale of the <laughs> fights, because like the Phyrexians let it loose, like they opened the portal like they were marching straight. They weren't even marching into Dominaria. They were just overlaying onto the plane from Phyrexia and they would have these passages where it's like Urza in his Titan engines, like each step of the Titan engine crushed a million Phyrexians. And there was still like, as far as the, I could see, I was like, Oh my God, there's billions of these guys. And like, <laughs> like I, I don't think my brain even now could truly understand the scale of what they were trying to do. But, uh, but leading up to that point, there were plenty of like, we need to escape these like four Phyrexians chasing us in the swamp, which is something you can do compared to right. is watching. <laughs> Good old. That's what they really need to bring back. Uh, they did it kind of with a return to Dominaria, but I need I need me some more like Gerard Capuchon and Captain Sissay. Actually, I hope that's what they do. They they use this, you know, Kel time. We got the Phyrexians coming. And then I hope Captain Sissay and the weather light. Uh, make a return and uh, and pop in because I think that's where they left things with Karn in Dominaria. Is he wanted to you know go after and destroy the Phyrexians once and for all? Yeah, I think Planeswalkers are due for another another mending style event. Like in the early storyline, Planeswalkers were these just omnipotent, omniscient like beings yeah, that they're just they're, gods. Yeah, they're just literally just gods. And then uh, the. The rending and the mending of in the time spiral storyline, they became mortals who are just powerful and can go to different planes. And that's how they were justifiably printed as cards, because you can't you can't print invasion story block Urza as a card. It would just be like zero mana, do whatever you want. The game is over. Right. And and like, obviously, that's no good. But the the Planeswalkers became the brand. And I a, a lot of people are not excited about Planeswalkers as cards. They are tribute planeswalkers as the original like fire printing the original bane drifters like these problematic permanents that generate card advantage immediately then you have to answer them and they're just inherently a bad deal uh, for the opponent and another another mending just kick them down another notch let humans like gerard and uh squee who's not a human but he is delightful uh krovax selena like let's bring back the a a storyline like that 
<laughs> kick them down to uh, sagas, which are actually the original conception. Like planeswalkers were originally supposed to be what the sagas are now, and they morphed into being planeswalkers. Like let's let's kick them down. I feel I feel sagas are a good power level because you can only use them for three turns and then they go away. Yeah, sagas are super cool. Like you could do a little bit extra work. You could blink them on their final chapter and then like reset the saga. Like that's cool, and I think that fits the narrative of. Like you summon a planeswalker and they're like, I'm important and I'm busy, but I'll help you a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I will help you on my way to doing other stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll cast Ponder, I'll cast Frost Breath, then I'll cast Upheaval, then I'm gone or whatever. And then that that would be that would be better. But I, I feel like I've gone full boomer in the last five minutes or so. <laughs> I'm going to try to. <laughs> right, so, well, before we forget, let's talk about this. This yeah. Dane. Redain, God of the Worthy, two and a white for a two, three, flying vigilance. Man, that's just got those perfect uh, death and taxes stats. Just screaming yep. death and taxes. Three dropper less, two, three flying. That's that's some nice stuff. Snow lands, your opponent's control, enter the battlefield tapped. Non-creature spells your opponent's cast with converted mana cost four or greater cost two more to cast. So got a taxing, cheap white creature that can also get in there for some damage. So that's exactly death and taxes MO right there. And then it's flip side is uh Val, uh Valkyra protector shields, three and a white for a legendary artifact. If a source and opponent controls would deal damage to you or a permanent you control prevent one of that damage. Whenever you or another permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability and opponent controls Counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. So interesting. You got two different ways to tax depending on what the the situation is. I feel that's nice for a deck like Death and Taxes that can play each side depending on what type of deck they're against. Yeah, like, I I don't know that this meets the the power level bar to replace something like, uh, I don't know, Flicker Wisp or whatever Mm -hmm. the, the flex slot is in Death and Taxes right now, but... Snowlands entering the battlefield tapped. That that's kind of like Thalia in the current metagame. Right. It will at least encourage people to play honest. Like I, I hate that it's correct to play Snowlands even if you can't use them. Like that yeah. bothers me a lot. And I've taken the stance that I'm just not gonna do that. <laughs> like whatever. Right. You know. I want I wanna use my beta basics. I wanna use my beta basics so I do not play Snowlands, even though I probably should play Snowlands. <laughs> Yes, I I have a gigantic collection of basic lands. I have like unglued, unhinged, unstable, un. Uh, I even have unsanctioned. I got a giant brick of beta lands and uh, a big box of like Tempest Mirage, like all the sweet old basics, and I I miss using them. So right. uh, I've just opted out of that entire game. But now there's a reason just not to do that. Like. Now you have to consider, like, what if I play against Death and Taxes, and what if they happen to have Redain? Which are two big what-ifs, but still, it's non-zero, and it's currently zero. So, that's pretty cool. And then, the non-creature spells your opponent's cast, we convert a mana cost four, or greater cost two more. So, obviously, that affects some of the Wraths in the format. Like, it's not going to get Toxic Deluge or Dead of Winter, but it does get Supreme Verdict and Terminus. Uh, It also notably gets... Like your storm opponent can still ritual, but the the past in flames, the uh, enter the abyss or the ad nauseum. ad nauseum, the tendrils itself, the empty the warrens. Like you're taxing the payoffs in a kind of big way. 
it it really messes up their math. You know, right? They have, they have to, and that can really be the difference between winning and losing in those matchups. Yep. And then if you buy, if you draw a second, you can have the shield up, or if you just uh, feel like you have the shield, and the shield does a, a pretty good uh, like unsettled mariner impression with the. Uh, now they have to pay one for each of the tendrils that target you. So that's it. it it's pretty good, but the the mana cost is a lot. That's what I was going to say. My issue is, you know, the front of the card is, I feel, kind of appropriate. It's kind of what I would be expecting. Um, I kind of wish it was switched for it was a 3-2 instead of a 2-3, but, you know, can't can't have it all. Um, the back, I just feel, is too expensive because the, the back is more expensive than the front, and yet the decks that it's good against are all the cheaper decks. So if a source and opponent controls would deal damage to you or a permanent you control prevent one of that damage... Yeah, that's good against Burn. That's good against these like aggressive Delver, Young Pyromancer decks. Um, you know, and I feel you're just going to be dead by the time you actually get this to resolve. Like it's not going to stabilize you. It's going to be too little, too late. And then the the storm. Same thing with the second ability. You know, whenever another permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability, the counter unless that player pays one. Like, yeah, that'll be good against removal, but you're playing it on turn four. So if it's like removal and it's like bolts or swords to plowshares, they're going to have the mana to pay for it anyways. And if it's something like storm, then there's a good chance you're actually dead before you can even resolve this. Yeah, for sure. That is, that is a significant cost. And I'm, I'm sure that you can't search for the God of Battle with Stoneforge Mystic, but I'm not sure that you can't vial in the Protector's Shield on three. Mm. Like that might be a thing you can do. Nobody build your deck around that till we're sure, but I, I think that that seems reasonable to me. If you can cascade into Tybalt, why can't you violin Valkyrma, the Protector Shield? So Yeah, makes sense to me. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Again, please don't. Uh, if I'm wrong, please let me know immediately before I build around it. But yep. I, I think the modality of this card it, is the last strength here, where you don't have to put Valkyrma, Valkmira, the Protector's Shield, in your deck. You're playing Redain, God of Worthy, and one of those might be good, but you don't have to choose until it's time. And like the Death and Taxes whole thing is slowing the game down. So the fact that the Protector's Shield on the back completely blanks 1-1 tokens from Young Pyromancer, it Dreadhorde Arcanist is just a cantrip machine, it's not actually doing damage anymore, plus like they want a Lightning Bolt, you at cost two. Like All of those things... That's an extremely powerful effect in some matchups. But again, it does cost four. We'll see. For sure. Uh, oh, one other card I wanted to ta- mention just before we get out of here was because uh, it's another kind of builds around me crazy combo style card is a uh, Realm Walker. It's uh, a it's green. It's towards the bottom, but it's uh, two and a green for a two, three shapeshifter changeling. When it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. And I like this because you can combo it with a glimpse of nature and kobolds to play through your entire deck. <laughs> wow, you skipped the entire elves application and went straight to kobolds. <laughs> kobolds is what's going to break, break this. Kobolds will break Realmwalker. Forget elves. It, this is a kobolds card. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think this is a card that elves needs or wants. Um, I have maintained a foil elf deck for about 10 years, so I'm going to buy a foil of this just in case. Like, I keep every card that can conceivably be an elves in foil in my house. So I'm going to have to get one of these, but 
I don't think it's going to make the cut. Uh, this is like might be good enough for modern elves, but I, I don't see it in Legacy, though. That is a really cool ability and just firing kobolds in. It it might be the way to go. Yeah, just all all zero drops. So you don't even need the Glimpse of Nature if you just have this and you just get lucky. The Glimpse of Nature obviously helps it when you hit those lands. Um, but yeah, if you can just flood the board with kobolds, there's so many other ways to win the game between, uh, you know, sacking him, Dashman's altar, you know. Once you get 20 kobolds in play, generally there's a way to win off of that. <laughs> the world is your oyster from there. <laughs> awesome well i am super excited for this set i love i love norse mythology i love vikings i'm super excited to play this and i'm really happy that we got some legacy cool cards if not necessarily legacy playable cards yep explore but not obviously busto and that's a good place to be with a standard legal set for sure for sure well awesome well thanks so much for uh coming on the cast man really really enjoyed talking with you tonight yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. Definitely. Now, uh, where can uh, people find you if they want to check out your stuff? Uh, I am Bosch and Roll everywhere. That's B-O-S-H, the letter N-R-O-L-L, Bosch and Roll. Uh, that's YouTube, Twitter, uh, Twitch, if you care. I don't really stream anymore, but, I mean, you can follow me there just in case. Um, Bosch and Roll everywhere. And that's a, a Bosch Iron Golem reference from it uh, sure is. Yep. OG Mirrodin. I remember him. I, I, uh, I distinctly remember opening him in booster packs. <laughs> yep. The uh, George W. Bosch deck that won Pro Tour New Orleans was yep. the one of the first real decks I assembled when I transitioned from the kitchen <laughs> table to the tournament scene. And Bosch was uh, the king of that deck. There wasn't yep. commander yet, but he would be the honorary commander. Yep. So. Our uh, our timetables are, are pretty synced up because uh, one of my first real decks from that is that same uh, situation was the uh, the Ark Slogger Burn deck. Yes, uh, yep. from that that same era, and yeah, those 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 were good times. Those were some good times <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. Uh, everyone, check out uh, Deep Analysis as well as all the other videos on Bosch and Roll, and we will see you all next week. Hopefully, uh, we'll get Pat back in the studio and we can uh, talk about wrapping up uh, the charity drive as well. So, also big thanks to everyone who donated stuff for the charity drive and participated. We ended up raising just about uh, $1,300 for the room to grow charity. So big thanks for all of that guys. Uh, we will see you next week. Yeah, 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 yeah.